First of all, uh, John uh, saw Jesus from the beginning. The way that John saw Jesus was a, a picture of who he was before he came to the earth. John chapter 1 and verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in darkness, and the darkness could not comprehend it. The darkness could not overtake it. The, the, really what it's saying there is the darkness could not whip the light. Isn't that wonderful? You, take, you t put yourself in the darkest place in the earth and strike a match or light a candle and you will discover that darkness does not have power over the light. That is what is being communicated to us in res with respect to Jesus in the beginning. Before he set foot on this planet, he was the word, he was the light. Now, in the gospel writers, we're very familiar with the fact that Matthew and, and Luke in particular took a great, uh, were very painstaking about talking about uh, various perspectives on the birth of the Savior and on the shepherds and on the wise men and all of those, those really prophetic expressions that were fulfilled about him coming into the earth. John says only one thing about it. And I think it may be the most important thing that was ever said about the birth of Christ in Scripture. And it's in John chapter 1 and verse 14, and it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And for John, that was the Christmas story. That was the end of it for him. The word that I saw from the beginning, the word that I understood that existed before any of us and any of this, that word that was with him in the beginning became flesh and dwelt among us. I think uh, for Christmas we ought to just wrap our head around that. So John saw him at, as the word that never passes away. The Bible says my word will never pass away. My word will stand forever. So John declares to us that word existed before us. That word came and dwelt among us. And then as we follow John's writings, we see that word established long after us. So the word, he saw him as the word that never passes away. He saw him as the creator of the world. Without him, there was nothing made that was made. He saw him as the source of life. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In him, the Bible says, in him there is no darkness. There is no shadow. In him there's no darkness. So we are believers, and we walk in light. We live in, mm, we live with full understanding, and wisdom, guidance, and counsel. I've already preached that, so I'm not going to spend time there today, but don't walk in the dark. 
Don't step in the dark. The Bible says if you step in the dark, you're out of fellowship. With him and with one another. That's what it says. But we won't revisit that, okay? I just thought I might remind you of that. And then he saw him as the light of men. The next thing that John saw about Jesus was he saw Jesus in his earthly ministry. And I just want to, as you go through the book of John, we've discovered Jesus in such a different way than we've ever seen him before. We see, John, we see Jesus in his earthly ministry in John chapter 1 and verse 35. He comes from this, in the beginning was the word, and, and he talks about the word being made flesh and dwelling among us. And then he goes right into, in chapter 1 of John, he goes right into Jesus selecting his disciples so that he could move into his earthly ministry. You say, didn't he skip a lot? No, he hit upon what he felt was the most vital, important thing that we would understand. The word became flesh and he stepped into ministry in the earth. So we see Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 35, uh, beginning to select his disciples. The Bible says that there were many who followed him, but that he chose from among them those that he wanted. I love that statement because then I know that he, co he comes in, into the, he looks into the earth and, and he says, whosoever will may come, but he reaches in and he says, I'll, I'll have that one right there. You're here because he said, I'll have that one right there. That one's mine. I'll take that one and I'll take that one. Isn't, isn't that wonderful? That ought to give you such warmth and comfort and confidence that you could that if you're sitting under the sound of the preaching of the word it is because the holy spirit is reaching to you and the holy spirit is saying i'll have that one he is mine so many people will will allow the enemy to come and to uh, whisper in their ear and to somehow convince them that god is far from them and that he's not reaching to them but i submit to you that if you're in the earth and there's breath in your body and you're enjoying a moment of the preaching of the word of god you're sitting under the sound of the preaching of the word it is because the holy spirit is pointing to you and saying he is mine come to me so you get an invitation today from the holy spirit simply because you're sitting in an environment of the preaching of the word of god Then we see Jesus in, in chapter, John chapter 2. Uh, John cites his first miracle, the water into wine at the wedding of Cana. Selects his disciples, discusses his first miracle. And then there's two things that I want to point out to you that I think are extremely important for the church to hear in our day. And it's so important. It was important enough for the Holy Spirit to prompt the heart of John to write it down. And it's important enough for us to revisit it as we look at the ministry of Jesus. In John chapter 3, beginning at the first verse, the scripture shows Jesus ministering the gospel to the affluent. And then in John chapter 4, beginning with the first verse, the scripture shows Jesus presenting the gospel to the disenfranchised of the community. 
And we often think of carrying the gospel to those that are disenfranchised and those that are down and out and those that are in a place of want, in a place of hunger, in a place of brokenness, and, and those that, that the world has cast out, and certainly that's important. But I want to challenge you that as you read through the book of John, John makes it very clear that Jesus went to the disenfranchised and he went to the affluent. Because the same gospel is needed for every ear in the earth. All people need Jesus. Whether you live in this life in a place of affluence or you live in this life in a place of want, the reality of it is that the gospel is important for all of us and eternity without God is the same no matter how you lived in this earth. And I think it's important for us to realize that. That's the reason God called believers out of every walk. When you look at the disciples themselves, they were from every walk of life, every influence. There were, there were the affluent. There were uh, those that were outcasts that were chosen. There were those that were well-educated. There were those that, that were laborers. And, and er, the, there were those who were very liberal. And there were those who were very conservative. When you look at the, 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 the disciples, there were those that were submitted and there were those that were rebellious. Isn't that interesting? Jesus chose, chose some rebellious folks. I'm in good company. <laughs> there were some who were great theologians and deep thinkers and some who thought with great simplicity so that the gospel could be shared at every level of culture from every place that anyone could potentially come from. He chose from among them the people that he chose very deliberately so that the gospel would be framed for every hearer. Isn't that wonderful? So we see him preaching to the affluent and preaching to the disenfranchised. And then the other thing that we've discovered in the book of John that I think is so valuable and so important that quite honestly... I had never really considered this before, and I've shared this with you already but uh, throughout this teaching, but in, in John chapter 4, we see Jesus reaching out to his own family, at times in great, in great frustration. Those of you who are going to some family gatherings tonight, and, and you've been thinking, I don't really want to do this, and, and, and you have that kind of family dynamic going on, I wonder what this is going to be like. And, and we see Jesus in this, in this, throughout the book, in, in chapter 4 and on throughout the rest of the book, we see him reaching to his family, loving his family, being frustrated with his family, working with his family, serving with his family, wishing they would get more understanding of who he was. And some of you are living in the very same place in relationship to your families as a believer. You are experiencing the frustration of, of being family members with those who refuse to believe and those who refuse to understand and those who just look at you and think that you're judging them because you love Jesus and all of that. And here we see Jesus patiently, albeit at times frustratingly, reaching to his family, to those that were familiar to him. He points out that even though even, even they know me and so they don't have respect for the anointing and the ministry that's in my life. They don't have respect for my walk with the Father but because, uh, you know, prophets just have no value. 
at home. Yeah, yeah, Jesus, take out the trash. Yeah. <laughs> right? So we see him in his earthly ministry. And then John saw him crucified. He saw the crucified Jesus. He saw him before his birth. He saw him in his ministry. He saw him crucified. John makes a very clear description of those events throughout the gospel, beginning in John chapter 18, going all the way through John chapter 21. He discusses all of the challenges of of that experience, the Last Supper and the crucifixion and the betrayal and all, all of those things that took place around that event. He wanted us to have a very clear picture of the fact that this Jesus, this Word who became flesh and dwelt among us, gave himself for us. This holiday season, this Christmas, if you are here under the sound of my voice and you've not come to the reality of Jesus Christ, the majesty on high who came as a babe in a manger who became flesh and dwelt among us also went to the cross for us to redeem us. There is no reason for anyone to be absent the presence of God. There's no reason for anyone to be distant in their relationship with him. He paid the price to welcome you to the family. I just challenge you today that you let the Holy Spirit work that in you. If you are here and you are distant from him or you've never met him, would you let these words take root in you? I don't know if when the, when the prayer teams are up here, you'll be given an opportunity to come and, and receive Jesus. And I, I don't know if you'll receive him today or if you will say, I want to think about this a while longer, but I want to challenge you that today is the day of salvation and now is the accepted time and that you would receive him today and that you would even say to them, I, I don't know what this looks like. I don't know how that's going to play out in my life, but I don't want to walk the rest of my life without him. He was crucified. John saw him crucified. And then I think one of the most amazing things that John saw was he, he saw him before he came. And then he takes us over into the book of Revelation and he describes him after he left. John had an amazing eye, spiritual eye, into eternity. Eternity past, eternity future. And he looks into the book of Revelation. And I just want to take you there for just a minute, and I want to read some some things to you uh, that I hope will enhance your perspective of how you see Jesus. You see, we see Jesus through the, primarily through the eyes of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We see him as that babe in the manger, and we see him in his earthly ministry, and we see him in his, uh, in his preaching the Gospel, and his ministering, and his love, and his healing, and his opening the eyes of the blind. We see him in, in, in environments where he's sitting, and he's saying to them, don't restrict the little children from coming to me. Uh, encourage them to come to me, except you become as a little child. We see Jesus in his gentleness. We see him in his embrace. We see him in his love. We see him in his mercy. We see him in his grace. 
that the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's saying to the church, this is how you should see him now. I want this to be revealed to you this Christmas in this way. John says in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 12, I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands and moving among the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with the garment down to his feet, girded about the chest with golden band. His head and his hair were like wool and uh, as white as snow. His eyes like flames of fire. His feet like fine brass as if refined in the furnace and his voice like the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. His countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And I think the reason that we see Jesus easily in the Gospels, we see him in his compassion, we see him in his grace, we see him in his love and his tenderness and, and all that. I think that those, all of those, those pictures that are drawn for us in Scripture are easy for us to identify with. But whenever John describes him in this way, then there's, there's something of Jesus that becomes more difficult for us to identify with. We will talk about that in more detail next week, so y'all got to come back. But I want you to understand that the first thing that he says in this expression, as he sees Jesus, is one like the Son of Man. Someone with whom you and I can identify with. He says, I want to remind you that the one that I am seeing is from you and like you. One like the Son of Man. He could have said one like the Son of God. He could have said any number of things. I think that the Holy Spirit was very intentional in that terminology. One like the Son of Man. And then he said, he, he said the reason he wants you to identify this is because this is Jesus in his eternal structure, in his eternal expression. The expression that you will be given one day. Oh, wait, hadn't thought about that. So he shows him to us clothed in eternal garments, clothed in robes of righteousness. Robes that go down to his ankles with a golden cord around his chest, prepared as one to be seated in a place of royal authority. And then he says, uh, in, in verse, uh, what, 14, his head and his hair were like white uh, wool, uh, white as snow, his eyes like flames of fire. So we see him in his purity. We see him in his purity. Listen, when you look at Jesus, mm, let, me, let me jump ahead and then we'll go back. Beloved, John, 1 John 3, 2. This is John, same, same writer talking in 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it is not yet revealed what we will be. But we know that when he is revealed to us, when he's manifested, we will be like him. 
So John reveals to us something that's a little more difficult for us to identify with, for us to understand that we are like him. So when he reveals him in his purity, you, because of his work on the cross, you have the same purity. Oh, but pastor, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know the poor choices I've made. None of that matters to me because the cross done took care of all of it. The blood was shed. He makes those of us so impure, pure as snow. When he talks about purity, he's talking about, he, he, talks, he mentions his, his hair white as wool and then his eyes like flames of fire. And the Bible teaches us that when we are tried by fire, we are purified. So he's giving us that expression of the purity of our Savior who made us pure. Hmm, somebody ought to say amen or something. And then he says his feet were like fine brass. And, he, and, and anytime the Bible speaks of, of your feet, it's talking about you being established. He is forever established, eternal God, King of kings, Lord of lords. And then he speaks in Revelation 1 and 15, after it says his feet are fine brass, as if refined in the furnace, and his voice, as the sound of many waters. He's, he's before the throne. He is before the throne speaking the eternal mysteries of God. The things that are not hidden from us, but hidden for us. The things that are in Him for us to discover. Constantly being expressed before the throne. The other thing that He is doing before the throne that we learn from Scripture is that He's our great intercessor. And so he's constantly speaking in our behalf before the throne. It says the sound of many waters, every language, every tribe, every tongue. He is expressing before the Father as he intercedes in our behalf. And then he speaks of the stars in his right hand, his right hand upholding the church, people of God. He's holding you in his hand. Jesus prayed before the Father in John 17. If we ever get there, I'll teach you on, uh, we'll teach on that. But he says to the Father, not one of them have fallen out of my hands, except Judas, son of perdition. None of them have fallen out of my hands. And then we see him before the throne, the seven stars, seven, the number of completion, the seven stars in his right hand, it's none of them. You, you can't, you, he won't drop you. You can't fall out of his hand. He loves you. And then in verse 16, the scripture says, out of his mouth comes a two-edged sword. Again, the word that was from the beginning, we see again. His word is like a two-edged sword, dividing asunder soul and spirit, joint and marrow, cutting, cutting uh, be between flesh and spirit. I always say to people when they're having a really hard time and when things are really bad and when they're going through some difficulties and, and great crisis in their life, I always say, you know, your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions has one response, but the spirit that, that is 
shut up in God, that is tied to who he is, has a different response entirely to, to the situation. So if you've got to have a good cry, just go have a good cry. Let it out. Come on, just pour it out. Have a good cry. But at the end of the day, say, Spirit, you will lead in this moment. You will lead in this moment. I had to do that when Julia got married because I'd have cried like a baby the whole time. <laughs> Spirit, you'll lead. And then he ends that saying that his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Everyone says strength. He communicates to you the strength, the eternal strength of our Savior. And the, the word tells us be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. I pray this year that all of these things that have been shared with you from the word of God become an unfolding reality to you of who the Savior is that we are serving. He is strong. He is pure. And he is holding you in his right hand. I'm going to challenge you with one closing verse. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 says this. Looking unto Jesus. Oh, if you're going to look at anything in the earth today, if, you, if you're going to pay attention to anything for the rest of your life, if you're going to give anything your attention, do this. Looking unto Jesus. The author and the finisher of our faith. You know what that tells me to do? In every circumstance, in every situation... There was this great, it was really a great uh, a thing that happened many years ago, and, and, and uh, many of us even had little bracelets with uh, WWJD on it, what would Jesus do? And, and the reality of it was that, that, that the Holy Spirit gave a moment in time uh, where that people would begin to think again, look at Jesus. And in every situation of life, where would he be in this moment? Some of the greatest healing that has taken place in my life in places of brokenness was when I stopped and I had a conversation with Jesus about where he was when I was being challenged. Where he was when I was being injured. Where he was when I was experiencing brokenness. Where, where he was in all of this. You know what I discovered? His word is true. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Some of the difficulties that have happened in life. Some of those situations where, where folks sinned against you, where they injured you. Many times we get mad at We're like, God, how could you let that happen to me? And we fail to realize that when God 
released man into the earth, he gave him a free will. And I discovered that whenever people do things that injure me, that the heart of God is just as broken as my heart in that moment. And even God says, I wish they would have made different decisions. I wish they would have responded to you differently. But I can't manipulate them to serve me any more than I can manipulate you to serve me. I won't manipulate them to serve me. But I'll heal your brokenness. I won't manipulate you to serve me, but if you'll walk with me, I'll make you whole. So I discovered when I would pray and I would say, Lord, my heart was broken in that moment. Where were you in that moment? And I would discover that Jesus was standing closer to me than ever in my life. And I've discovered that when I had tears running down my face in those seasons of difficulty, that, that when I could really stop and consider Jesus, tears were running down his face. loves you. Looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. This season, would you see him the way that he really is? You see, he was a babe in a manger. He was a prophet and a preacher of the gospel on the earth. He was flesh that dwelt among us. But he is King of kings and Lord of lords. But he is seated at the right hand of majesty on high, full of authority and power. Would you see him for who he is. If you'll see him for who he is, you'll see you through his eyes. You'll see you the way he sees you. And you'll come into that place of triumph just as he has come into his place of triumph, his place of victory. Would you stand together this morning? Because we're looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Father, I pray right now in this moment that as these wonderful people stand in your presence, that you would reveal not just who you were, but who you are. That we would discover this Christmas who you are in our behalf today. You, Lord, are our champion. You're our redeemer. You're our hope. You're our light. You are our strength. Our purifier. And it is with you that we are in covenant and agreement today. 
Oh, Lord, would you just write on our hearts right now as we stand in your presence. I just release the, the, even the pen of a ready writer. I release the Holy Spirit to write upon your heart new, fresh perspective of the King of kings and Lord of lords, of the Savior of the world, the one whom you serve. Lord, would you write upon our hearts that we would never forget the moment that we are standing in today. 